Well, now that we've uh, done that, we come to the part of our service where we investigate some of the claims of the gospel, some of the teachings of Jesus. We are in the Sermon on the Mount now. And so to uh, help us with the reading of scriptures, Shen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the reading of God's word. Good morning. Uh, Today we are continuing our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount, a very famous sermon that Jesus preached. And throughout this sermon, we are learning that Jesus is showing us what it looks like to, to belong to him, what it looks like to belong to his kingdom, and, and what it looks like for his gracious reign and rule to change our lives. And change really is the operative word. When you become a Christian a lot of things start to change in your life. Among the things that change are your relationships. And if I had to choose one word to describe the kind of change that Jesus wants to bring into your relationships, it would be radical. He wants radical change. Let me show you what I mean. In verses 21 to 26, which is our passage this morning, Jesus is talking about the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. You say, what's so radical about that? I mean, how is, is not killing somebody a radical standard for relationship? That's exactly how the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, interpreted the sixth commandment. For them, it was just, don't commit the act of murder. And if we do that, then we have fulfilled the entire sixth commandment, right? Jesus says, wrong. He says there's a lot more to this commandment than just simply not committing the act of murder. This commandment is actually about, among other things, conflict. It's about resolving conflict. And that makes it a highly relevant passage for us this morning because I'm pretty sure that wherever you are, that you have conflict in your life. Chances are good. That conflict might be with a parent, it might be with a sibling, it might be with a friend, it might be with an employee, it might be with a spouse or children. One thing's for sure. If you're in a relationship for any amount of time, you're going to have conflict. The question is, how do you handle conflict? How do you resolve conflict? Jesus is going to show us this morning in the Sixth Commandment. He's going to... He's going to let us uh, understand. He's going to take us deep into this this commandment. He's going to take us deeper and wider um, as he opens up the sixth commandment. So let's go deeper and wider with Jesus. First, Jesus takes us deeper. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, 
that anyone, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Murder is it's not just about the act of unlawfully taking somebody's life. It goes deeper. It goes a lot deeper. It goes deep into the human heart. If you have ever been angry with somebody, you've committed murder. Now, I know I have to pause here and uh, answer a question. Is Jesus saying that anger across the board is wrong? And the answer is no. He's not saying that. Anger, like all of our emotions, is a good thing. Anger is a good God-given gift. He's given to us to address injustice and evil in this world. Anger looks at injustice and says, that's wrong, I'm against it, and I'm going to take the necessary steps to, over, or to deal with that injustice. Anger is good. In fact, in God's word, in Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, it says, be angry. It's a command. Be angry. And yet very quickly it says this, but do not sin. So anger is good, but it can go bad. It's like fruit that can go rotten. And when it goes rotten, it's murderous. Let me show you what I'm saying here. Let me show you how this works. And I'm going to do that by taking you to another passage in the Bible, a very famous passage that deals with conflict resolution. It's James chapter 4. And the question that is asked in James chapter 4 is this. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Now here's the answer that he gives. You desire, but you do not have. So you murder. You abuse one another. You know, when... When you think about the reason why you have conflict or you get angry with other people, the, it's probably the real reason is not what you think. We tend to get angry about fairly superficial things. And by superficial, I don't mean inconsequential. I simply mean that they tend to be on, on the surface. When we get angry, we tend to get angry about things like, why didn't you clean up after yourself? And um, why are you standing so close to me right now? Uh, you know, those sort of things. Not unimportant, but not really the real reason. James gives us the real reason here. And he says this, you do not ask. You don't ask. You don't pray. You don't talk to God. And is it any wonder that you don't talk to God? Because your God is the thing that you want. It's the thing that you're looking for. You're looking for functional salvation and whatever that thing is that you want and that other people are getting in the way of. This is what I'm saying. That, that there is a desire under the desire. And, and under the desires, there are these... Godlike desires, idolatrous desires. What are you looking for? What do you want? I want to suggest a few things. One or several things. One, it could be that you want to win. You want to win. Or maybe you want uh, safety. Or maybe you want a life of ease. Or maybe you want, I don't know, approval. But these are the things that you're really deep down looking for. And when you can't get them, or when somebody gets in the way of you getting them, that's when the gloves come off. 
Here's the thing about anger. It, it doesn't tend to stay put. It tends to spill out into the world around us. And when it does, it's terrible. Jesus talks about insults here in our passage. Now, presumably there's somebody else here in this passage that we don't know, but whatever the issue is, they've made you angry. And so you're lobbing insults at that person. You say maraca because that's the Aramaic word hiding behind the English word insults in our passage. And that word raka means something like empty. You are empty. There's nothing to you. You are inconsequential. And the word fool really gets at the same idea. You, you're lacking intelligence. You're lacking wisdom. You're lacking integrity. You're lacking character. There, there's nothing to you. This is where godly anger and godly... Um, we're, we're, we're bad anger and good anger kind of split ways. Um, ungodly anger, ungodly anger, godly anger goes after the problem. Godly anger goes after the problem. It seeks to resolve the problem. But ungodly anger does not go after the problem. It goes after what? That's right. It goes after the person. Look at what the pastor says. You, Raka. You, fool. You in your totality, you in your entirety don't count. You're worthless. Now that is a terrible thing to say to somebody. That that, that kind of language assassinates a person. It, It murders a people. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to use your words and allow anger to spill out in such a way that people get scorched and hurt and harmed. That's a horrible thing. But you know what? God is angered by it. He's angered by it. Jesus says that anyone who says raka or fool will be liable to judgment. Here's the irony. Here's the irony. That angry people, we're talking about people who are characterized by anger, They have no desire to change their ways. They're just mean. And what comes out of them is mean. Jesus is saying that angry people are exposing themselves to the anger of God. And and that shouldn't be hard to understand. I mean, think of someone that you love. And someone comes along and harms that person that you love so much. How do you feel? You feel furious. You're furious. You know, the reason why Jesus says that angry people are exposing themselves to the anger of God is because God gets angry when people harm the ones that he loves. I thought you, I thought you said, yeah, you're saying... You're confused. You're confused. You're saying, I, I don't understand this because I, th- I thought that Jesus taught in the Bible that if we confess our sins and turn in faith to Jesus Christ, that our sins will be forgiven and that we'll be saved from our sin and saved from hell and be able to enjoy a never-ending relationship with God. I, I thought that's what the Bible taught. It does teach that. 
But it also teaches this, that, that when a person becomes a Christian, they are filled by the Holy Spirit, and a life of change begins to take place. Now, change is slow. The progress can be painfully slow, but there should be progress as we grow in the Christian faith. Uh, You say, I want to change. I want to stop being so angry. I want to stop hurling insults and damaging people and hurting relationships. I I don't like that. I want to change. Great. And we'll get there in a minute. I'll show you from God's word. But just before we do that, let me talk to those of you who are curious about the Christian faith. One of the questions that I sometimes ask some people, I've asked it many times throughout the years, is if you were to die today, on what basis would God let you into heaven? And the answer that I invariably get, some version of it anyways, is this, I'm a good person. I've never murdered anybody in my life. Well, that's good. But here's the thing, listen, listen to what Jesus is saying, because he's saying that murder is not just an act. Murder can take place in the heart just by being angry with somebody. Have you ever been angry with somebody? Have you ever insulted somebody? Have you ever gossiped? Have you ever been envious? Because envy is anger. Have you? Jesus says, it, if, if that is the basis upon which you hope to relate to God, you you need a different way of relating to God than your moral performance record. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that God sent his son into the world to die for your sins. Jesus went to the cross, and on that cross, he took, he absorbed, and he extinguished God's wrath, his anger, which rightfully belongs to, on you and me. And he did that in love for you so that you could be brought into a relationship uh, with God through faith in Christ and so that a a life of change could begin to take place in your your life. And, And that is a beautiful, amazing thing. And maybe today could be the day that you turn from your sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ and where you begin to experience that amazing life change. Now, how do you change? You're angry. I don't want to be angry. What's the answer? What's the solution? Let's go back to James chapter 4 for a minute because I think there's an answer. James says this. He says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And you see, there's the answer. The answer is to submit yourself. I mean, our problem when it comes to anger is that we elevate ourselves. We, we perch ourselves up on a, on a throne, and from that throne, we look down on others with derision. And Jesus is saying, the Word of God is saying, you have to get lower. You have to submit yourself. You see, the problem is really a vertical one. When you submit yourself to God and you let God be God for you, you're going to stop looking for other things to be God, which they can't be, and it's getting you into a world of trouble and it's damaging relationships. Submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to him, he will draw near to you. You see, that's the solution. That's the way that you overcome anger. You know, Jesus and the Word of God is calling you to get lower. 
and to become a servant and to stop using people as, let's say, pawns, uh, barriers that get in the way of what you want or vehicles to get you where you want. No, we're called to be servants. We're called to get lower, just like Jesus did when he lowered himself and came to this world and died on that cross for you. Now, listen, this is only part of the picture. There, there's more to this story. Um, we, this, this commandment takes us deeper for sure. It helps us to see that we, we, we cannot have anger in our hearts. It will damage our relationships. We can't have that. It takes us deeper. It helps us to overcome this anger. But that's, that's not enough. We need more. That's just negative. We need a positive. And there is a positive. Not only are we not to move away from people, which is what anger does, but we are called to move towards each other. And so this commandment, don't you see, don't you see, takes us not just deeper, it takes us wider. And wide enough to include a relationship with me and you where we are together. Let's go there right now as we look at the the second part of this passage. And we're going to see that the sixth commandment actually takes us takes us wider with one another. Um, Jesus tells a couple of illustrations to make this point. The first has to do with you going to worship. The second has to do with you going to court. In the first illustration, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that um, someone has an offense against you, he says, leave your gift at the altar and first go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift at the altar. Now that would have been a shocking thing to Jesus' listeners. It's a shocking thing to us. I mean, what Jesus is saying here, that there is something that takes priority or precedence over worship. What is that? Reconciliation with your brother or with your sister. Why? Because you can't worship God. You can't worship God if if you have unresolved issues in your life. Listen to what God says in 1 John chapter 4. If you say you love God and hate your brother, you're deceiving yourself. God wants you to worship him, but he he wants you to deal with the stuff in your life, the, the broken relationships, the sin that you have brought into relationships. Be reconciled. And actually, over in Matthew chapter 18, he says that if somebody has sinned against you, that you are called to go and to reconcile with them. Either way, whether you've done it or they've done it, the onus is on you to make the first move, to go to them and to be reconciled. Why? Because God is a reconciling God. It says in the Word of God that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. And He died for us to reconcile us to God and God to us, and the moment that a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they are reconciled together. Beautiful, beautiful. I want to say something, though, about restoration. Because we're being commanded here to be reconciled, but, but Jesus does not command us to be restored. And this is something that someone has been helping me to see lately. What's the difference between reconciliation and restoration? Let me give you an illustration. 
when I was in high school, I, um, I played on the high school rugby team. Let me clarify that. I tried out for the rugby uh, team in high school. I didn't make it. And the reason I didn't make it, well, there might have been many, but the the one ostensible reason why I did not make the rugby team is that when I tried out, I broke my leg. I slid into a goalpost and I broke my leg. And here's what happened. That bone had to be set. It had to be reconciled. That happened fairly quickly. But it took many days, weeks for the restoration to take place. Now, God calls us to be reconciled. If there's sin, he calls us to be reconciled. But he doesn't call us to be restored. I mean, if restoration takes place, wonderful. But sometimes the trust has been broken and it takes time to rebuild. And sometimes in this life, it doesn't get fully restored. And in some cases, it shouldn't be restored. What if there's an abusive relationship? We're called to reconcile. And we're called to reconcile quickly, which is the point of the other illustration, the one where you're going to court. Jesus says, if you're going to court, settle up on the way. Don't go to court. If you go to court, it's too late. Jesus says, you'll be thrown into jail. There was a debtor's jail. You would go there if you had to pay a debt, and you would stay there until the debt was paid. But here's the thing. If you're, in, if you're in jail, you can't work, so somebody would have to bail you out. Now, the point, the only point of this illustration is this. You need to be reconciled quickly. And you can be. You, you can be reconciled as quickly as it takes to leave your gift at the altar, go away, be reconciled and come back. Presumably that took place on the same day. It wasn't weeks. Reconciliation can be quick and it needs to be quick. Now how? How, how do we get reconciled? I want to leave you with six steps this morning. And these are six steps that my wife Wendy and I have developed over almost 30 years of marriage. Listen, when you're married for 30 years, you're going to have conflict. And we've had conflict. We've had lots of conflict. But we've also learned how to navigate and resolve that conflict. When we've had conflict and there's been sin, we have agreed, underlying the word agreed, we have agreed that we're going to take certain steps. Now, we don't always take these steps, but we take some version of them. And by the way, this isn't just for our marriage or anyone, anyone's marriage. These are principles that our kids use and that we use in relationships. They're transferable. Here they are, six steps. Number one, when, when we begin the reconciliation process, we always lead with I, not you. We don't say you did this. We say I did this. And the next step that we take is this. What, what was the thing we were trying to get at? This goes back to um, James chapter 4. And those idols, those sort of, yeah, those, those godlike things that we were pursuing. What, why did we do what we did? And then three, here's the impact that I believe my actions had on you. Four, will you please forgive me? We never say, or just say sorry. Sorry is a great start, but it's not enough. Sorry is just, hey, I'm sorry, I feel badly. No. We, we say, will you please forgive me? We don't demand it because 
there's a debt, and the only one who can deal with that debt is the person who's been sinned against. They have to release you. So we say, will you please forgive me? And then there's a fifth. Have I missed anything? Because you might. And then there's a sixth. And I'll admit, we haven't been great at this. Pray. Because reconciliation isn't just something that has to happen between you and whoever. There is a vertical component. And if there's sin, that has to be confessed, you see. This is what I've found in 30 years of, of having conflict and taking these steps. It is amazing how quickly Wendy and I have been reconciled. Like that. I'm not saying that the, the relationship has always been restored right away. Sometimes it takes time. But the reconciliation has happened and can happen just like that. Now listen. This commandment is such a beautiful commandment. It, 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 is, it is a commandment that takes us deeper into the human heart and wider. Uh, wide enough to embrace people. Wide enough to, to bring them together and this commandment is for you and Jesus wants you to go deeper and wider in your relationships listen so many people walk away from relationships they just trash them and ditch them but Jesus calls you to be different he calls you to go deeper and wider and friends that is a radical thing and it is a radically changed relationship that Jesus Christ is calling you to, and that can be yours by his grace. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for our relationships. We know we make a mess of them, but we thank you, Lord, for your grace, which is so great and powerful that it can it can take us wherever we are and change us. Change us, we pray, Father. We pray that you would root the anger out of our hearts. We pray, Father, that you would also cause us to move towards people in love and to be reconciled. And and Lord, as we do that, to reflect your reconciling grace to us through Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray. And we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.